Thank you. So it's very nice to be here. It's, it's, I was a little bit overwhelmed actually when I came in and saw what a grand church we were going to be meeting in. Um, and it's lovely to see so many people here. I, I, do, I do think this, uh, the Bay Area is a very special place. It's, I don't know anywhere else where you have so many Dhamma centers and Dhamma groups and teachers. It's, it's quite amazing. So it's lovely to see this church, which is also used as a, as a Christian church, being filled with people tonight who are interested in, in meditation practice and listening to the, the Dharma. So as I often say, we, we in our tradition, in the Ajahn Chah lineage, uh, well, Ajahn Chah himself, he, he particularly made a point of not like studying and planning for talks so not to arrive with notes and, and a, you know, a set thing that you're going to speak about but to speak from the heart so I must admit this has been quite a challenge since I've come to live here because we give much more talks much more frequently than I ever did in England and you know, certainly can sometimes want to lean towards well this just for tonight I think I'll do a bit of study and I'll bring some notes and, but I've found that when I do that um, there's a certain kind of flatness and uh, I'm, I'm not really connected with what I'm saying so it's always a little bit of a, an act of faith and uh, so tonight let's see what comes through so as I was sitting in the meditation just taking in where we are and so I looked around a bit before some of the icons and you know, one of the things that came up I was actually looking at the, the Trinity, it's one of my favourite icons and it's a rather pokey little corner over there but there's a beautiful icon of the Trinity three angels and the the, um, well, the chalice in the, in the centre and as I was looking at that, it just was reminding me of the sacred, of what is sacred. And in a way, the, in, the, in, a, in, the, in the Pali suttas, you, know, you don't really find the word sacred written anywhere. You hear words like Bhagawan, which means blessed one, holy one. And... You know, there are there are ways that the people speak about the Buddha in a in a in a deeply reverent and sacred way, but the actual word sacred doesn't really come up anywhere in the scriptures. Anyone who's been to India will know that India itself is is kind of a a wild and sacred land. So the Buddha was living within the context of of Mother India, which which has a great power to it. I don't know if there's anyone here who's been, but in itself, India has a, has a, it has an incredible sense of the sacred in everything, and and profane both. They're both there all the time. So, uh, you know, I noticed that in in the West and also where in the in the in the monastic form that I've come from in in England. There's been a tendency to rationalize the teachings. So the teachings themselves are very 
beautifully put. They're nice little lists, you know. You get the the books of, of fours, the book of sixes, you know, you get, you get everything's all nicely categorized. And it can be very a very rational teaching and it can be used in that way. You can you can you can investigate the teachings from from many angles and find that they are pretty much watertight, you know, they're they're good teachings. And you know, this is it's, it's very good. It's very important actually to to study and investigate the teachings, so that you can really take them in and learn for yourselves. And it's also really important to remember the context within which these teachings were given. So they were they were given by a, an enlightened being in a country where. You know, there was a there was a, a pretty ordinary sense of the sacred. The sacred was just part of everyday life. It wasn't uh, it, it wasn't that you go to church on a Sunday. It was you know it's in the streets. It's in the it's in the land. It's in the air. It's, it's everywhere. So this is the context within which the teachings were given. And I think in the West we we forget that, and we it becomes a rather um, personalized, you know, how do I make my life more, how do I make myself into a better person, you know, how do I make my, my life more, um, well, happier and more, maybe more efficient and, you know, I suffer less and it can become rather uh, two-dimensional. So it's interesting for me to be in this in this context of this church, and this word "sacred" comes up very strongly. And you know, we we can we can use the teaching in that way. We can we can pick it up as a you know as a way to make our life more livable. And certainly for myself, when I first started to practice, that was my motivation. You know, I I was. Ex- as many, not everybody comes to the path this way, but majority of people come to the Buddha's teaching because of suffering, because they experience suffering in their lives, and they want to know how do you get out of this, you know. <laughs> so that was my motivation when I first started to practice, and it was about um, finding some centeredness. Um, learning to live in a more skillful way, trying to get some reins on a crazy mind, and in a, in a way kind of turning my life around. That was in, the, in, the, in the beginning of the practice, that was really very strongly what, what I could see. This is what I need to do. And it was about me and my life and my enlightenment. That's, that was my motivation. So some of you might uh, resonate with this. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, so that's that's okay. You know, that's it's, that's a, a good a good start. It's a good start, and it gets us going, gets us motivated. But if our practice stays at that level, and we're just practicing for our own um, benefit. And we're not really taking in the, the bigger picture. Then it's we're really missing the the wholeness of the Buddha's teaching. So he was speaking about 
you know, cultivating wholesome qualities within our own life. And I don't know if you're familiar with the five precepts, but that was, uh, the five precepts were given as a, they're not actually precepts, but they're, they're ways of training the mind. The five ways of mind training were given as a, a means to live happily, to live without remorse and without harming others or ourselves. So this, I'm sure you're familiar with them, but not, not intentionally harming others, not taking what doesn't belong to us, uh, using our sexuality in a way that's uh, respectful, not abusive, uh, using, not using false or harmful speech, particularly not lying. Lying is a really important one. And avoding uh, using drugs and intoxicants, avoiding losing, you know, on a, on a bit, in a big way, losing mindfulness, getting lost in, in uh, drunkenness or intoxications. So this, these were the five mind trainings that he gave as a, a means to protect our own life from, from getting too lost. So we, we can keep developing wholesome qualities making good karma and avoid making unwholesome karma through practicing these five mind trainings. So this was part of what he taught and he also was pointing to our interrelationship, how everything, everything is interrelated. So if you're familiar with Thich Nhat Hanh's teaching, he speaks about interbeing. This is another way of saying that, that everything is in a state of interbeing. You know, this church is here because of an aspiration, an idea, because of people's having developed skills, carpentry skills, masonry skills, uh, architectural skills, you know, and because of the, the wish to have a place, a sacred place within which to worship. Now, this is how this, this has come into being. So it's the coming together of many, many things, practical and intentional. And now, I don't know how long it's been here, it looks like quite an old church, you know, many years later, it's, it's a place that we can, we can be together and practice meditation. So you know, everyone here has that intention to come here, to practice, you know, maybe I'll learn something or maybe just want to have some time in silence. And it's our, you know, it's this, it's, it's this intention and action that brings us together at this point, that makes this group, you know, happen. How is group? It happens because of the coming together of intentions and, and effort. And everything, absolutely everything in the world is arising in that way. In, in every moment. So the Buddha speaks about mind being the forerunner of all things. Mind is the forerunner of all things. All things are born of mind, or of intention, of chitta, of heart, mind. And it might seem a little bit kind of strange when you think, well, no, it's not, you know, how can you say that everything's born of mind? You know, there are, there are things that are physical. There's the earth, the, the ocean, the sky. But if you, you know, if you really look at 
she was speaking with the, the other sister who's at the, in our Vihara today, and we we're just speaking about how, how amazingly different people's minds work. You know, just, just something as simple as keeping a journal, you know, how, how in, immensely different people can do that. Just speaking about a, someone who, who, who draws their journal, they don't actually ever write anything, but they draw intricate drawings, and that is their journal of what's been going on. Someone else might write poetry, someone else might write lists, you know. And on all of these different minds and different ways, we meet the world and in that we, we create the world. We see the world in a particular way and, and in that we're, we're creating the world. So if, you know, it's very important that we get to know the way our mind works. Because if we don't, we're just constantly creating the world in a certain way. And we might, you know, we might find we're in a world that's, that's, that's pretty awful and we don't want to be in it and we wish we weren't. But if we can actually see the way we're meeting the world, we might find that you know, we can actually change the world that we're living in, in a, a radical way. So once we... You know, well, through the meditation practice, we get to know the way our mind works. If we if we apply attention in the right way, we get to know the way our mind is working. We get to know if we've got a, a habitual tendency to feel joyful or to feel depressed or to feel frightened or hopeless or purposeful. You know, we get to know the way our mind works. And you know, when we get to know the way our mind works, we can start to, to develop the mind and to direct the mind in a way that's, that's, that can benefit ourselves and others. So when I first came to live in the monastery, I had a lot of fear. I was very fearful of many things and my world had become smaller and smaller because I, I was afraid to step out of... It was almost like being in a, in a ring of fire. And I was afraid to step through that ring of fire into the next circle. <laughs> and when I, once I actually went to live in the monastery, I, re- I recognized, gosh, I'm actually living in a very small world. Not, not because of the monastery, but because of my mind. And it's, uh, you know, I could, I could stay in that and, and, and keep my world very small and protected and live within, live with this fear for the rest of my life. I could do that. I know people who do that. Or I could take the risk and, and jump through that ring of fire. So, uh, in a way, there wasn't really a choice, actually. Once, once, you, once you see it so clearly, and you know the consequences of not, you know, jumping through that fire, then you can't really stay there. So there was, you know, first of all, a, a jumping through, a sense of like having to get past certain limitations and enjoying the, the, the greater space I had in my life through doing that. But then I'd find, oh, I'm meeting another, I met another ring of fire, a little bit bigger than the other one. Oh my goodness. Okay, do I want to stay in this or, or do I want to take another risk and... So then again, you know, going past that, it's not, not always actually out of choice. Sometimes circumstances push you through it. You can't always choose. 
and you know, then finding myself in a, in a kind of bigger space and how nice that is. Able to do more things, able to um, you know, be with, with people more easily, maybe able to um, influence the world in a way that I wouldn't have been able to before. So this, uh, oddly enough, in a monastery where you'd think it's uh, you're very much kind of shut off and alone and quiet, actually what a monastery does is it, it, it makes you meet your karma. It makes you meet whatever you want to avoid, you will meet it in, in the monastery. People, situations, responsibilities, they'll just come up one after another after another. This is a wonderful thing. <laughs> and nobody's making it happen. It's just the it's just the karma of actually consciously saying, I, I want to wake up. So when we say that, we're inviting the world to respond. So you know, we can say, I want to stay asleep, I want to stay asleep, I want to stay asleep, I want to be safe, safe, safe. We can do that and, and it, you know, we find ourselves living in a very small world fearful, protected, and not, uh, not being able to manifest anything very, very good in the world. Or we can take the risk and say, I want to wake up. And take a breath. <sighs> take a breath and, uh, and, what, and you know, you'll, you'll find that you meet new challenges and new blessings if you do that I'm sure many people have do, done that and are in that process here actually already and it's an ongoing process until we're, we're fully enlightened and I'm sure that anyone here who's been on a Vipassana retreat will know that once you've really started to slow down and investigate and look into this sense of self this sense of me and mine <clears throat> and you start to see the workings of that and experience the falling away of that whether it's just for a little while in a meditation or for a long period of time you know, you know that there's really no going back and it can be in the early, you know, when you first start to practice that you wish, oh my goodness, I wish I'd never started. <laughs> Can't I go back to how I was before, you know, when I could just go under the duvet, under the comforter and not have to think about it. But you can't, actually, once you start waking up. There's no going back to sleep. Not for long, anyway. So I hope I'm not putting anyone off by saying that. <laughs> And I hope that everybody here is already too far down the line to go back to sleep. But it is a it is a a fact that once we start, we have to keep walking. We have to keep meeting, um, you know, the, the shadows and the demons of our ego, of our fears and desires. Keep meeting them shaking hands, introducing ourselves, inviting them in for a cup of tea. You know, that's how it is. And getting to know them a bit. 
And the more we get to know these, uh, these demons of our self, the less power they have over us. The more they just become, oh yeah, it's that again. You know? it's that, oh, it's that fear voice. It's that contraction again. It's that grandiosity again. You know, we get to know it, and, it's, and we don't take it so personally anymore. And uh, this, is the, you know, this is the path to freedom. It's kind of a humble path, but it gets you, well, it doesn't get you anywhere, but it, it, you know, it, is, it, is a <laughs> it, is, it does uh, facilitate that falling away of that sense of me and mine that we begin with that is so difficult to live with you know, that we wish we had another one somebody else's it does facilitate the falling away of that and it's not that we, we become somebody else or that we don't have the character that we were born with that our mothers recognise it's not that that goes away but our relationship to it changes so, you know, instead of believing every time a fearful thought arises, we recognize, oh, this is that fear visitor again. And it feels like this. When, the, when fear is visiting this, this house, you know, this, this being, is, it feels it's contracting. It feels maybe a bit small and tight. Oh, it's, it's that again. So instead of taking it personally and and you know, trying to reach for some medicine to get over it, we get to know it and recognize it and maybe sit down and spend a bit of time with it. Maybe have a little conversation. It might, uh, it might need to tell you something. Or maybe you can just take a few breaths, you know. Take a few breaths and reassure that fear that, you know, life is arising now. Life is arising now. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's just this. There's just this. And we can meet this with fear. We can meet this with hope. We can meet this with planning for something in the future. But really and truly, there's just this. And how we meet this, how we meet this moment, is how we... It's <laughs> one way of meeting it. <laughs> it's the fun way. So how we meet this moment is how we breathe life into into the world, you know, into into how we breathe life into the world, how we, we manifest the world. It's how we meet this moment. And the beauty of it is that we don't have to, you know, the conditions don't have to be perfect. So, because they're not going to be, or they always are, depending on how you look. <laughs> but it, we don't have to wait until, you know, we have no more desire, no more fear, no more anger. We don't have to wait for that moment to bring something good into the world. We can meet what is arising now consciously and in doing that we're already changing the world
It might sound rather small and, in, and insignificant, but it's actually very powerful. You know, when we're when we're just running on automatic pilot, following our habits and you know routines and just being somebody doing something, being somebody doing something. You know, it's very easy to spend a lifetime doing that. And you know, we might be able to do something good, which is great if we can do that. But it's much more powerful to to relax the grip around the sense of self and to come into presence with what is happening here and now, whatever that might be, and to let our life be informed from this rather than from an idea or a fear or a memory, but let it, to, let it be informed by this and how we can meet this, whatever this may be, in any given moment. So of course, you know, we even also for us in the monastery, you know, we don't have we don't just sit in meditation the whole time. It's not like being having a whole life and retreat. So we also we're busy, we have times when we're busy, engaged, and times when we can have quiet, be alone, times when we meditate. Times when we're very social, this is quite a whole mixture of things. And I'm sure for you, you know, you have your work, you have maybe family and hobbies, whatever it is you have to do. And we can't just, you know, every moment, until we're enlightened, we can't just every moment be fully present with every little thing that's happening. We know we get lost in the, the busyness and, the, and sometimes the overwhelming feelings that can arise as, a, as a, being a sensitive human being. But you know, we have these t- also these times, these places and these times for introspection, for, for quietening the mind, for centering. And it's in those times that we can really get to know how it is to meet the moment. And the more we do that in our meditation, and in those quiet moments, maybe in nature, by the beach, in the, in, the, in the park, the more we do that, the more easily that comes into our everyday life. Walking down a busy street or in the middle of a work situation, you know, the more we cultivate those, that presence in our meditation and in the quiet times, then the more easily that will just come in to our life. So, it's a simple practice and, a, and quite a humble practice and a very powerful practice. And it can certainly transform the way we live and the way we relate to others. And it gives us a chance to, to not keep acting from our habitual tendencies, from our habits habits and conditioning. But we can begin to really meet the world from a place of presence and with a certain amount that has a certain amount of choice in it. A certain amount of choice as to whether we follow the fear or remain present with the fear. Whether we you know react 
with irritation or we stay present with a feeling of irritation. And you know, not, not throw it out at that other person, but keep it here. Take it as a teacher. It's precious. Many of the things we throw away at other people are very precious. We should keep them. Anger, irritation, fear. These are these are teachers. Desire. These are these are our teachers. You know. So don't just throw them away. So there's great potential in a human life. And we all have the blessing, everyone here has the blessing of having come across the, the Dharma, having an inclination towards spiritual life or towards cultivation or awakening or whatever you want to call it. And not everybody has that. And we also live, even though I know there's a, you know, the times are hard at the moment in this country, we do live basically in a, a wealthy country. And for most people, I imagine most people here aren't struggling to, to just get enough food to eat each day, find a place that's warm enough to sleep in the night. So we have, you know, the, the basic support for this human body that's needed. And with our aspiration, you know, we can make use of this human life to its fullest potential. So even if we can't every moment make use of it to its fullest potential, you know, even now and again, we can do that. And that's great. And as we keep cultivating the path, you know, the Buddha speaks about mindfulness, and it's like filling a, a large jar. Sometimes you see these huge, in the Mediterranean, you see these enormous clay jars that are used for preserving or, or for collecting water. He it says it's like, you know, drop by drop, drop by drop, these jars, this jar gets filled. And you might think, you know, I'm just having a moment, of, it's just a little moment, you know, and I've got all of this time when I'm completely lost in my thoughts and, and reactions and emotions, and then, and then there's this one moment where I wake up and I realize, oh my goodness, I've been lost in those thoughts, I've been completely lost all that time, what was I doing? That is a precious moment. That is a drop that's filling the jar of water. And if you really notice, you know, there are many of those moments. But we tend to, we tend to kind of skip we, that moment arises and then we're straight on to the, oh, I'm no good, I'm so hopeless, I've got a terrible practitioner. You know, we, we, don't, take, we don't take a moment to just, oh, how nice, a moment of mindfulness. Great. And if we actually pay attention to that moment of mindfulness, it might just lead to another moment <clears throat> and another and another. So it's important to, you know, use the mind 
in a way that's encouraging and you know leading onwards leading inwards and leading onwards so I hope there's something useful I hope this is you know, that you will really take this to heart and honour your, your practice and honour this human life, this potential and keep patiently turning the mind in the right direction towards what is wholesome, what is present, what is strong, courageous and away from following the, the fears and desires and anger that we all suffer from every unenlightened being. So I didn't, I actually had my clock in my pocket and I, time went by. So we have just a, a couple of minutes now before the end. And I'd like to just end, if we could just sit for the last two minutes. And really bring to mind the goodness of our practice. The blessings of our practice. And for all of us there are many things that aren't perfect, aren't good enough, could be better. But for this time we really focus on the, the blessings, on what is good. And really take that into the heart. So if we remember to do this at the end of the day, then we have a, a wellspring of goodness to share in the world. It's always here. many of you are already familiar with it because that's why the, the flyers were here when I arrived but I want to just bring your attention to this little leaflet of Buddhist Global Relief 
which is over there on the table. And this is a, a, a charity set up by Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi on the East Coast. And it's, um, it's a Buddhist charity, but it's, it's, it's basically to help anyone of, who is in need of, well not anyone, but people who are in need of food particularly. And it also helps to educate children and specifically particularly girls who are in vulnerable situations when they're having to go out and earn a living for their families which often ends up in prostitution in, 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 for girls in poor countries so Buddhist Global Relief I'd, what I'd like if, I, if you would as a, a gift to me because I've given it this time as a gift to me if you, would, if you haven't already got one if you'd take one of these leaflets and have, and read it and have a look at the website just that much and if it motivates you to do more that's wonderful but just, just that much is, is a great start thank you thank you very much Ajahn so um if you want, as I said earlier, there's, there's also these brush, these little cards that have their schedule the, for the public schedule for visitors to Loka Vihara. The end Judah goes all the way out to 48th Avenue, and you can just walk from there. Um, this church costs us $150 a week to rent, and so any Donna for the, to cover the cost of the room is greatly appreciated. There's a basket over there by the organ. And in addition, any, any offering you would like to make for the teachings can also be put in the basket. So thanks, everybody. And remember that in two weeks, on December 21st, we're having another of our monthly happiness hours. So even though it's Christmas week, uh, we will still be gathering here about 6.30 and you can, uh, we'll have the chai lady and the, and the, uh, what are they? Oh, the empanada guy and the, the bread man. So, uh, and you can bring your own burrito too. So, so thank you and have a good rest of the evening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.